want to thank you all for being here. It is a joy to me to get to stand up here. This is, this is, um, uh, a really nice zone for me. It, I hope it is a nice zone for you. A nice little corner of God's earth this morning on which we can gather together and look at some of the wonders that are in His Word. Wonders that a change and affect who we are. So if you are here and you are a regular attender, Thank you for being here this morning. I appreciate you in attendance. If you are here and you are a visitor, thank you for visiting us this morning. Here's what we've been doing. We have been, uh, uh, with some interruptions along the way, looking at some Old Testament passages that speak about Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. The Old Testament was written before Jesus. You're right. But it's a book that was inspired by the God who was teaching us about Jesus before Jesus ever came to be as an earthly incarnated Lord. Jesus was Lord God in heaven and was Lord God long before he became the man, Jesus. And so if we remember what the book of Hebrews says in its very beginning... It says the following. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's a reference to the Old Testament. Now, the God that's speaking there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, of course, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in speaking to the prophets gave the same message that we have in Jesus. And that is a message of salvation in Christ alone. So we see pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. If we go back to the PowerPoint, please, up in the booth, we will look this morning at the tabernacle. Next week, the goal is to look at the temple. Now, That's all background. We're ready to start the class. Are you all ready? We start with a question. How many of you have ever gone camping? Oh, my heavens. That is a lot of people. Okay. I've tried to go camping. It never looks like this. I tried to find a picture of me and Becky going camping. Oh, it's not that. We never got that far. (laughs) So Becky and I, in our early years of of marriage, we packed a a tent that I got, I think, at Academy. And we, 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 we had a boat, and we drove the boat and the tent to Lake Amistad. And we put the tent on the boat. We took the boat out. We got about, I don't know, four or five hundred yards from shore before we realized that there's a bolt that goes in the bottom of the boat that you're supposed to put there to keep the water from coming in. (laughs) Turn the boat around, gun the boat, get back to shore, get it pulled back up on the trailer, put the bolt in, 
tried it again the second time, found this nice little place where we were going to build the tent. Actually, you don't call it building a tent. It's pitching a tent. My mistake. Found the place where we were going to pitch the tent. We managed to do it. We managed to get a fire going. <laughs> Middle of the night, um, we hear the wild animals that are wondering if they should be eating us as opposed to us eating them. But we toughed it out. We made it through the night. I swore never again. <laughs> I just, I don't quite have the camping in me. I'm not very good at it. And I wish I was. Oh, I wish I had that. I wish that first picture. And then our girls, Rebecca and Sarah, when they were little, Dad, take us camping. Like, okay. So, <laughs> we got an RV. We drove to Kroger's. We got food. We drove to Toys R Us. They got to pick out the toy they wanted. We pulled back into the backyard. <laughs> and we watched TV on the satellite dish and ate Kroger's. And they slept with their stuffed animals on the bed. And I went into the house and found Becky. <laughs> so I've learned to camp. But pitching a tent is not that easy for me. Now, the exodus, it was really one big long camping trip. I'm talking a 40-year doozy. They've got the tents. They've got the outdoor gear. They leave their homes in Egypt, and off they go. Now, they're very early on in the camping. They've made it to Mount Sinai, and God's giving Moses some instructions. And God says to Moses in Exodus 25, 8 and 9, that Moses is to build a dwelling for God, a mishkan in Hebrew. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. God says, I want you to make me a dwelling place and I want you to do it exactly the way I tell you and it's going to be a tabernacle or a tent. Tabernacle. Is in Mishkan, the, the Hebrew word means a dwelling, but within this context, as the Jews recognized when they translated their scriptures into Greek, it was a tent. Now, this was not a foreign concept to the Israelites. They had been in Egypt. They understood this. Egypt had traveling tents that would be appropriate for the Pharaoh, that would be appropriate for priests. So the idea of a tent, the hieroglyphic is a little hard to see but you can see the hieroglyphic of a tent. If we take it out of the stone, you can more readily see the hieroglyphic of a tent. And, and that's what we had is Moses' instructions from God on how to build 
a tabernacle, how to build a tent that would be the dwelling place for God. The tabernacle or tent. Now, here we see, uh, this is actually from the reign of the Fourth, I believe. This is a, a, a tent that was made in Egyptian culture for traveling purposes. And it's made on the same principle with the same basic construction that the Israelites were told to use. So this wasn't some foreign concept for them. This was something that, that was practical, that they, they had understood what was, and they were told to build the tabernacle. Now, if we took the time to read through the instructions, you'd get a pretty good feel for how to uh, uh, um, envision this. A replica has been built in the Holy Lands that you can actually see, and it gives you the tabernacle. It gives the fenced area around it that had the courts. It gives you the, the four-cornered horned altar, the table. It gives you the actual sanctuary presence, the tent itself. So God gives these instructions to Moses. God says there are craftsmen that the Spirit is specifically blessed with the skill to do this. And when I tell you God told him how to do it, the instructions are incredibly precise. He tells him how many fabrics to sew together, how many poles to use, what kind of wood to make the poles out of, what size to make everything. Ultimately, they're going to get instructions on where the Levites and the others encamp around the sanctuary such that the sanctuary's in the middle. They're going to get instructions on how to disassemble the tent, the tabernacle, as well as how to assemble it. And different tribes will be responsible for different parts of the disassembly and assembly. So you got your... your you know, one tribe's going to be responsible for doing the fence. One tribe's going to be responsible for doing, you know, the furniture. One tribe's going to be responsible. All of this is detailed out in, in very careful notes. After the tent has actually been constructed, the tabernacle, which is not just that tented enclosure, but it's the, the courts and everything. After that's been done... To the precise instructions of God, it is constructed and built there in the wilderness. And we read this passage from Exodus 40. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, the dwelling. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. They build it and, and this cloud, the presence of God is seen to be indwelling the tabernacle. And as you read through the account of in the Torah, when, when the cloud lifted, the Israelites knew it was time to go. And they'd pack up the things because when the Lord says, ready now, you got to move, as the old song says. And when the, the, the cloud didn't leave, it just stayed there, the Israelites stayed. They followed the Lord, they followed the cloud, and the cloud inhabited 
the tabernacle. So here's what we have. We have the tabernacle. It is a tent. Now, more of you read Greek than read Hebrew. Some of you don't read either. How many, how many of you were in the military? Thank you for your service to the country. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. My dad was in the Navy. I've told you before, one time, my dad picked me up from a class. He said, Mark, what class are you in? Uh, what, what am I picking you up from? I said, Dad, I just had Greek. And he said, uh, we were going to lunch or something. He said, well, what do you have after lunch? I said, I've got Hebrew. He said, that's really interesting. He said, when I was in the Navy, they made us learn a phrase in every language except Greek. I said, really? I mean, I was amazed. I had never known that about my dad. I was in my young, late teens, I guess, 19 or so. And I said, say, say something in, in Swahili. He just looked at me, didn't miss a beat, said, that's Greek to me. <laughs> Some of you know Greek. <laughs> Some of you say, I know every language but Greek. That's Greek to me. So I throw the Greek word up there. Those of you who don't know Greek, I want you to know this word. So that goofy looking letter that looks like an O with, with a shelf added on the top, that's the way they wrote their S unless it was at the end of a word. Okay? So that's an S, K, and then the letter that looks like an N with one leg longer than the other, that's actually a long E. It's the, it's the, the Greek word eta. So you've got S-K-E, and then their V is a new, so that's an N sound. S-K-E-N-E. Skene. Would you say that with me? Skene. You've just said the word tent in Greek. So when the Jews translated this passage about the tabernacle into Greek, they used the word skene, because that's what it was. The tabernacle was a tent that had been pitched for the Lord to dwell in on the 40-year camping trip and actually up until Solomon builds the temple. So that is the tent where God met with his people. And Moses would go in to interface with God and, and during uh, the Day of Atonement, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. But the priest would be in the courts and, and they would do the sacrifices. And this was the meeting place. This was the place where God met with His people. It's also the place from which God led His people. And the people would follow the presence of God and they would follow the tabernacle and His dwelling. So it's where God met with His people and it's where Israel Followed God. You with me? Everybody feel tabernacled up? Your tent has been constructed in your mind. You got it? Okay. Because the Apostle John wrote a gospel. We call it the Gospel of John. And in the very first chapter, which we know begins, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We learn that the Word, if we hadn't already figured it out, is Jesus as we continue to read through, especially 
when we get to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see that verse? Now you are all Greek scholars, right? Because that word that's translated dwelt, it's the word skeno'o. Now look at the word skeno'o and compare it to the Greek word for the tabernacle. It's got that same goofy looking S, which is the O with the shelf. It's got the same kappa, the K. It's got the same eta that looks like the N with one leg longer than the other. It's got the same new or N sound that looks like a V. The only difference is at the end where it's got an O and an omega, which is a long O. So it's got two O's at the end instead of the E sound. Do you know what difference that makes? It just makes it a verb. This says the word became flesh and tented among us or pitched its tent among us or tabernacled among us. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the tent that was pitched. And John's not accidentally stumbling into the language of the Torah, of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. It's intentional. Because he wants his readers to see the Word became flesh, pitched its tent, tabernacled among us, and we've seen His glory. When the tabernacle was pitched the first time, everybody in Israel who was watching saw the glory of God descend upon the tent in a cloud. And it says it was the glory of God that descended into the tent. And Israel could see it. And John says what's happened there was a picture image of what's happened in Jesus. That Jesus is the tabernacle of God when Jesus became flesh. When God the Son became flesh, when the eternal Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we find in Jesus where God really meets with His people. You want to meet God? No, Jesus. Jesus is... Look, God didn't say make 30 tabernacles. God says you make one and you make it precisely like this. Did not want to leave it open. Didn't, hey, every town needs a tabernacle. No. Does that mean there's not time for people everywhere to worship God in the Old Testament? Of course there was. But there was one tabernacle. When it was gone, there was one temple. That's the way God directed it. Why? Because God is saying there is only one meeting place between me and the people. 
Don't construct altars on the high hills like the pagans do, thinking that if they're on a hilltop, they'll be closer to God. Don't construct a share of poles. You don't worship just anywhere. There's one meeting place where God will meet with us. And that's true in the Old Testament because it's speaking prophetically about the fact that there is one place God meets with us, Jesus. And so that's what we have. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the only Son of the Father, from the Father, full of grace full of truth. And we had that picture when we look at the Old Testament. Jesus is not only, though, where God meets His people, it's also where His people follow God. We follow Jesus. When Jesus moves, we move. When Jesus says jump, we say how high. When Jesus says swim, we swim. When Jesus says duck, we duck. We do what Jesus says. And what Jesus says should be enough. So we've got that. Now, the tabernacle was built. But if you recall, that passage in Exodus said that Moses was not only to see that they built the tabernacle the way God instructed, but also all of its furnishings. Because the tabernacle was not by itself. See, he said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Because there was furniture that needed to be in there. And so if you're looking, for example, at Exodus 20, 10 through 16, it gives you some of this. No, it's not Exodus 20. It's Exodus, ignore that, 25, 10 through 16. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half will be its length. Do you know how long a cubit is? From about right here to about right there. Which means I need to know how long your arm is to tell you exactly. We're thinking about 18 inches. A cubit and a half, two cubits and a half will be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. A cubit and a half its height. Overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. Overlay it. Make a molding of gold around it. Cast four rings of gold for it. Put them on its four feet. Two rings on one side, two on the other. Make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by. The poles stay in the rings of the ark. You don't take them out. And put into the ark the testimony I'll give you. That's going to be the Ten Commandments likely. You'll make a mercy seat of pure gold. Now mercy seat is means a cover. There's going to be a cover to the chest. Of pure gold, two and a half cubits its length, a cubit and a half its breadth. Make two cherubim. Cherubim is plural for cherubs, angels of gold. Of hammered work, you'll make them on two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end, one cherub on the other. 
on the peace with the mercy seat, you'll make the cherubim with the two wings, two ends, and they'll spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Now, there's a lot more. I mean, we could do an entire year on this without any trouble, on all of the furniture and its significance and symbolism. But for now, let's just look at it. And you might be thinking, gee, how are they going to make all of that? They're on a camping trip. Well, go to the British Museum and you're going to see from the Ramesside and, and, and just this entire era, you're going to see woodworking tools that we still have salvaged from Egypt. They're, they're in the British Museum and they had saws and they had drills that they would turn by str linen string and, and sinew and, and things uh, uh, attached to a bow. We have pictures of them using these tools. They certainly knew how to do this. You can go to the British Museum. You can find a commode from that era. A chest that was made. They did tendon joints. And so you, you, you've got the know-how with several spirit-filled Israelites. They come from a country and a land where this was done. They've got the tools. They're able to do exactly what God told them to do. By the way, there's an entire sermon on that. I ought to get Dr. Patterson and one of his preaching students up here to preach on God will give you the tools to do everything He calls you to do. Because that's true. Whatever your day is, whatever the week is you're facing, I don't care if it's an obstacle, I don't care if it's a, a neat opportunity, I don't care what it is, whatever you're facing, God gives you the tools to do it if you walk by His Spirit and His guidance. It's going to be fine. Acacia wood. They have acacia trees in Sinai. They've got the trees, they've got the tools, and they're going to be able to build the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is not, by the way, the original. We don't know where that is, in spite of Indiana Jones. This is a reconstruction idea. You'll see the cherubim, the angels with the wings extended over the cover, the mercy seat. That idea comes from... Tutmose the fourth's chariot body in Egypt. Here's his chariot body. See the way the wings extend out from the God that's on the side of his chariot? That's kind of the, the idea for the way the wings might extend out in the artist's reconstruction. We don't know with precision. But let me tell you what we do know. We know that the Ark of the Covenant and all of these things were holy to the Lord. So holy that you better not touch it uninvitedly. Made heaven by you. So holy that you better do it exactly the way God said. So holy that only once a year would the priest dare come in 
to the Holy of Holies where this was and sprinkle the sacrificial blood from the sacrificial animal onto the mercy seat because at the mercy seat, God is going to see His people's sin and forgive it. And so that is the, the, the importance of this. This is, is, has, has rules that pertain to, to how it is purified, how the people are purified, how this is going to be used for the people. But this is where sin was forgiven. Now roll into the New Testament. There's a sermon called the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter, the 24th verse, we'll read, Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands like the, the tabernacle was in the Old Testament. Not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. But Jesus has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. These are copies in the Old Testament of a reality that is found in Jesus. Let's look at that a little bit. I want to look at Hebrews 3. I want to look at Hebrews 8, 5, and a few verses after that. And especially at Hebrews 9. And we'll do this and, and then we'll have our points for home and we'll, we'll go home. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 3. And the entire book of Hebrews is just amazing and what it has to say about these things. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting. We're going to get to this next week when we start talking about the temple as the house of God. Because this is much more temple language than tabernacle in some ways. But Moses was responsible for the tabernacle, not the temple. The temple comes with Solomon. Paul will make the point in Ephesians. John will make the point in John that we, the body of Christ, are the temple in Christ as Christ is the temple and we are in Him. It's all next week. Don't get distracted yet, which I probably just distracted you. Sorry. My fault. But let's skip in the interest of time to chapter 9 of Hebrews. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. We're reading about the tabernacle. A tent 
was prepared. Do you know what the word is there for tent? Skene. Same word. Same word John used where Jesus pitched his tent and dwelt among us. A tent was prepared, the tabernacle. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it's the holy place. But behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which was a golden urn holding the manna. That was something later God instructed Moses to put in there. Aaron's staff that budded, something later. God instructed, and the tablets of the covenant, Ten Commandments. Above it, above the ark, the chest, were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. He's kind of like me. That's him saying, well, I would never by the way, claim to be, oh, gee, the Bible's like me. Okay, no, no, I didn't mean that. What I meant is, that reminds me of what I just told you. We could spend a year doing this, but we don't have time to go into that much detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. So you've got that outer section of the tent, where the priests would go in every day and perform their duties, the sacrifices, the, the burning, the, the oil and the lamp and keep the lamps burning. But once a year, they would go into the most holy place, and by they I mean the high priest. The high priest would go into the most holy place only once a year, and he has to take blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Is this making sense to you now that we understand the tabernacle? Look what he says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. He didn't take the blood from goats or calves. He entered by his own blood, the eternal blood of the eternal God, the eternal Son, Jesus. And thus He secured an eternal redemption. Don't have to go in each day. Don't have to go in each year. Don't have to do it again. Don't have to kill another goat. Don't have to kill another bull. Don't have to kill another pigeon. The blood of goats and bulls, the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, but how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So he's the mediator of a new covenant. 
It goes on and on and on. Look at the, look toward the bottom of this chapter. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with the blood of goats and heifers and things like that. But the heavenly things themselves, they're purified with a better sacrifice than that. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. Those copies of the true things. Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And it wasn't something he had to offer over and over and over repeatedly like the high priest who comes in every year with blood from a sacrificed animal. If that's the case, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as it's appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for Him. See, the law, the Torah, this was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. We could just go on and on and on because that's what the book of Hebrews is about. But in the interest of time, we don't have it. So instead, let me say this. When we read about the tabernacle, when we read about the mercy seat, when we read about the Ark of the Covenant, when we read about the, 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 the fact that the mercy seat held the commandments and held the, the manna and held the, the budding rod of, of Aaron, it held these things. It spoke to the, 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 the pictures of the reality that Jesus would come and truly put blood that truly purifies us before God Himself. We truly have our sins forgiven. It happens once and He brings with Him the new covenant. He brings with Him the manna, he, the, the, the food, the nourishment that will sustain us till we have deliverance in the promised land. He brings with us the shepherd's rod that will guide us. And we follow Him, the God of the promise. So here are your points for home. Exodus 25, 9, God said, you make it exactly as I showed you. Can you imagine how messed up it would have been if Moses had not been so carefully obedient? Well, we don't need a mercy seat. It's a lot of gold. We could use that gold for something else. Yeah, I know God said... Yeah, to, to put it gold inside and outside, but I mean, come on, who's looking inside, right? Who, why do we need a mercy seat? Why do we need an Ark of the Covenant? And God says, no, you make it exactly this way because it had importance later. It's to teach us lessons. Not only to teach us lessons, it was an indicator, it was a sign, it was a compass pointing north straight to Jesus for those Jews who had eyes to see and ears to hear. 
I cannot stress to you or me enough the importance of holy obedience. God says it. That's enough. Let's embrace it. Point for home two. We have confidence to enter the holy places. This is, if we'd continued working through the Hebrews, we'd get to this in Hebrews 10. That it's no longer the high priest alone who goes in and approaches God. He's purified all of our sins. We lose the wonderment of the fact that we can pray to God. I think, I I mean, here, would y'all like um, Donald Trump's cell number so you can call him? I'm sure he would love to hear from you. Hang on, let me get it for you. We'll put it up here on the Elmo so everybody can copy it down. This is going live out on the Internet. That'll be good. I need everybody out there to have Donald Trump's home number. Hold on. Oh, look at that. Favorites. Right there. Becky Lanier. See it? You can't see it, can you? Hold on. Let me take this light. Take that light off. You can see her. You can't read her, but you can see Favorites. I don't have Trump on my favorites. Hang on. Contacts. Uh, Trump T. Boy, this isn't showing up very good. Y'all are going to have trouble seeing it. How do we make this better? Is anybody wise enough? Here, let me take the lighting down. How's that? Oh, yeah. There we go. Trump. T-R-U-O-M. I, I don't have his number. Does someone have Trump's number you could share, please? I want to make sure everybody's got an ability to call the president or text him. No, I don't have my glass on. Who's got it? Nobody? <laughs> Anybody else? Ah, uh, I want to tell you something. I respect the President of the United States. I respect him whether he's Donald Trump or whether he's a she or whether he's Millard Fillmore. I'll respect Barack Obama when he is in the White House. I may not respect all of his decisions, but the office of the presidency is worthy of our prayer and our respect. Even if we didn't vote for him or her, and even if we don't like him or her, and even if we disagree with his or her policies, we respect the office of the presidency, in my opinion. Okay? Now, having said that, the president ain't nothing Compared to the Lord God Almighty. Nothing. And I've got God's cell number. And he wants me to give it to you. Because he wants you to call him. Any time. Day or night. He wants you to text him. He wants to hear about the smallest little thing that you may think is so unimportant to most, but to you it matters. Jesus is on the main line. You want God's phone number? 
It's Jesus Christ, His Son. And you go through Jesus, and you, there is nothing, no barrier between you and the Lord God Almighty. Because Jesus has torn down every barrier. The only real barrier there ever was, was your sin. My sin. That's the only real barrier. And he's removed it. When you come to him in faith, he's removed your sin. And we have access to God. Point for home number three. Christ will come again to save. About frequently talk of our agreement that Jesus is coming again. We may not understand exactly how that's coming out exactly together. But there is, what's, what's the expression? There is no space between me and him on that. And there should be no space between me and you on that. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Right. Come Lord Jesus. I'm excited about that and I hope you are too. Next week we're going to continue this. We're going into the temple. We're going stones in the temple. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus? Father, thank you so much that you hear our prayers, that you give us blessings in Jesus Christ. Would you bless the word of truth that comes from you as we hear it through Scripture? Father, would you open our eyes to see Jesus and through him you? Would you open our ears to hear you through Jesus? May we behold your glory in Jesus. May we follow you in Jesus. May we see you dwell in our midst in Jesus. Through whom we proclaim, come quickly, Lord. Amen. See you guys next Sunday.